the very concept of love-hate relationships is sort of interesting to me. It's something that's very real to us. I don't know who coined it, but um, they're just interesting to think about. As you know, it, it's, it, it's used to refer to either people who we po- both want to be around, and yet when we're around them, it's not good for us. So we don't want to be around them, but we do enjoy being around them. A love-hate relationship. It's also not just people, but it's things. Things that we love to be around, and yet it's not good for us when we are around them. I love donuts. But it's not good for me to be around donuts. And I know that. But do you think I can learn that? Because the next time somebody brings Dunkin' Donuts in the office, I'm there. I'm all about donuts. A love-hate relationship. Well, let me ask you, can you think of in your life some love-hate relationships? Just think about that for a minute, whether it's a person or a thing. What for you do you love and hate? Well, I want to talk today about one that I think most of us have. You might not have listed it just now, but I think most of us have it. And that is actually a love-hate relationship with money. We love it. We like to have it. We would love to have more and more of it. And yet, it is usually listed as one of the top top sources of stress in people's lives, in, in marriages' lives. Um. I want to talk for a second about that attitude towards money. It's something we desire. We, we like to have lots of it. We'd like to have more of it. There's an assumption that those who have a lot of it are better off, are happier, something like that. Because of how we want it, it's easy to become obsessed with it. Certain substances are listed as addictive substances. I think money should be in that list, an addictive substance. The love-hate comes in because we also have learned in life, whether our own lives or the lives of people we've known, that money is also dangerous. People with a lot of money or people who desire money can become filled with greed, lose sight of the importance of relationships, mistake money for happiness, and have a very empty life. That very thing we desire can destroy relationships. Consistently, money is listed as one of the top reasons in divorce statistics. So money becomes this sort of love-hate relationship that I've likened to a maze. The problem is, you see, we can't do without money. Our whole um, world is structured around money, currency, as a way to both get payment, and purchase things that we need. We can't just say, well, I'm just not going to go near donuts anymore. We have to carry donuts every day, but don't eat them. That would be terrible. And that's sort of the money maze, isn't it? Unfortunately, not only can we not avoid it, we can't avoid the risks. What we do with our money and how we spend it and what we expect from it. There's not a lot of people who have found their way out of the maze. 
There's a lot of people offering ways out, promising ways out. Buy my product, read my book, come to my seminar, let me manage your money, I'll fix it all for you. Unfortunately, most of those are only really looking out to get our money into their pocket. So if we're looking for a way out of the money maze, if we're looking for some wisdom, some guidance of how do we handle our money and not let it take possession of our lives, what about God? Could God be a source of help for us? I think a lot of people would say no. In fact, a lot of people are already nervous because this is apparently a sermon about money. And people just avoid those with a passion. I think that's because a lot of people have a stereotype about how God views their money and what God's agenda is. When I ask, should we look to God for advice on how we handle our money? I think a lot of people would say no, because he just wants my money. Somehow he wants to get my money. He wants to take my money. So I don't want to involve him in it. I think the other stereotype we have is that God is sort of a stingy God who doesn't want us to have too much, that God wants to sort of keep us poor. And so again, well, if that's his agenda, then I don't want to involve him in my finances. So I would ask you to think about this before we go further. What is your honest attitude about God and your money, his advice and your finances? Do you look forward to a sermon about money, or are you there, oh gosh, I wish I'd not come today, or I think I'm going to check out and go do something else in the living room? What, what is your own perspective on God and his ideas and money? Well, I think God is actually a great source for us to look to. He doesn't want your money. That's the first thing that I want to look at and sort of clarify that stereotype is inaccurate. God actually doesn't want your money. Now, here's why I say that. In Psalm 50, here's God speaking to his people. And they have their images of what God wants. And it's interesting what God says to them. Psalm 50, beginning with verse 9. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. It's interesting, God almost gets sarcastic with Israel, his people, when he says, you really think I'm desperate for what you have? You really think I need your animals to eat? You really think I need your money? And he reminds them, it's all mine. I love, and there's an old, old song, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. But that's what God says here. I... Look what I already have. You think I need your cow, your goat? 
You think I need your money? It really is an interesting perspective because on the one hand, I think we all can agree with that and say, yeah, God's got a lot of stuff. But if you really believe that, then doesn't that make our fear of God needing to take my money from me illogical? He really doesn't need to take our money. That's why I'm saying God doesn't want your money. That's not who he is. The other thing is that idea that God is somehow um, stingy or wants to keep us poor and destitute is also not what the picture scripture gives us. What we see, the God we see in the Bible is a generous God who loves to give gifts. He loves to bless his children. And he doesn't want us to, to see us in need. The opposite from our stereotype of God. In Matthew 6, Jesus says several things about this. The first thing he says is in verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He is a provider, a giver. Are you not much more valuable than they? Jesus said, you don't have to worry about God. He's going to be providing for you. He is a God who is a giving, generous God. And he values us much more than the birds of the air. Jesus continues later in chapter 6, starting in verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? God wants to provide. God wants to bless. God enjoys being generous with the children he loves. That's what Jesus wants us to see. That we have a God who wants to give and is faithful and is a provider God. You see, what I would say is that God is the best source of guidance we could look to. Rather than the God we should, oh, let's not talk to him. Let's not involve him. Oh, I don't want to listen to a sermon on giving. I, we're making a mistake. We misunderstand God and where he's coming from and where he wants to take us. If we want to find a way out of the money maze, and know how to handle this money that we have to handle, and yet do it in a way that it does not take possession of us and promise us things it can never deliver. If we want to avoid that, God is the very person we should be listening to. Here's what Paul tells Timothy about listening to God. In 1 Timothy 6, 17, this is the New Living Translation. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. You see the choice that Paul lays out there for Timothy? We can trust in our money, but it's unreliable. And we see that, don't we? 
We see that every month in our economy, in employment figures, in everything you want to look at about money. Interest rates, you name it, it is very unreliable. Paul's right. But he said we can trust in God who loves to meet our needs for our enjoyment. And that's really the choice that we have. The choice I want to lay out for us today. Now, as I urge you to listen to God for your financial wisdom and guidance, I feel like I need to give you a disclaimer. And that is this, that God's advice, when you understand God's advice, is at first going to sound very different from everyone else's. Because God doesn't follow the world's plan. And so there is this initial shock factor when it's like, God's want what? God wants me to do what? That's not what I'm used to. Correct. Because the world's plans don't work. So if we follow the world's plans, then it would take us to the same spot. God says, I have a different plan. And I need you to trust me. Because if the world is going that way, we're going to go this way. That's why my plan works, God would say. So he's going to ask us to view money differently. He's going to, have to, he's going to ask us to handle our money in new ways. And be, that's what makes God's plan difficult to follow. Just because it is different. It's not the way others do it. Honestly, sometimes it's not the way we want to. It's going to pull against some of our inner urges and desires. But it's the way that works. Just like I have to fight that inner desire for donuts because I know it's not good. Somehow I need to learn to say no to donuts. That's what's better. And that's the way God's plan is. He's going to ask us to do things like give. Give to others. To be generous. Not to be focused on getting and getting and keeping and having, but in sharing what we have. That's going to be a challenge, isn't it? It's a different way of living. The other thing he's going to ask us to do that stretches us is he's going to ask us to trust him. You see, in order to be generous and to share with others and help others and not just hold on to everything... I only can do that if I can trust that God is going to continue to meet my needs. He's going to continue to provide. So he's both going to stretch me in focusing on others and sharing and being generous and in trusting him. And both of those are going to be hard for us, hard for all of us as humans. But they're the secrets of how God's financial planning can work. And we're going to look at that for the next two weeks. How does God ask us to handle our money? And what can work? And I just want to say to you, please don't run from that. If you're online, I, I challenge you to tune back in for the next two weeks. Not because God wants to take your money, but because his plan is better. And you can actually live with money and there's joy and, and avoid the stress because of what God can do in your life. It all comes down to what I would call a very important question. 
Jesus sort of asks that question of those who would follow him also in Matthew 6, this time in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Now, if we stop right there, we'd say, okay, that makes sense. I have no problem agreeing with that, Jesus. That just makes logical sense. Except for the next sentence he adds, you cannot serve both God and money. There's a challenge in that, isn't there? A choice that Jesus lays out. But unfortunately, he's right. Money is a powerful God. If we're going to focus on it, if we're going to need more of it, if we're going to rely on it for our security, all of those things, money can do that. It promises that. It offers that. Won't deliver, but that's what it promises. Or there is God who promises to provide, to bless us, to be there for us, to give us security, no matter what comes up. God can handle that, and he can deliver. But Jesus rightfully says, you got to choose. Who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to follow? You can't do both. And unfortunately, that's where God's saying, I can't help you if you won't trust me. If you won't follow my advice, I can't help you. Then you're really choosing you're going to live for money. Let go of that. It's risky. It's scary. Let go of that and listen to me. I can help you get out of this maze of living with money. So that's what we're going to look at. I hope you will join us for these next two weeks as we look at God's directions to get out of this money maze. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth and your wisdom. Even more, thank you for who you are, the kind of God you are, who has all the wealth, who doesn't rely on our money, but who is generous and a giving God who loves to provide and take care of us and bless us, who can give us security in any circumstance. Father, thank you for who you are. Help us open our lives to listen to you, even about our money. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.